Hey everyone, what's up? This is Jamie Pride and welcome to episode 10 of the Failure Proof Podcast. everyone, my name is Jamie Pride and thank you for joining us on the podcast where we explore performance, resilience and the mindset needed to thrive in the modern workplace. Having a background in advertising, working for some of the biggest brands in the world, Nikki Fogden-Moore is the ultimate high performance expert. Her decades of experience lie in truly blending both business with personal high performance for ultimate success. She's written two books, Vitality and Fitpreneur, and her podcast, The Mojo Maker, goes out to 85 countries with over 100,000 downloads. In this interview, Nikki talks about vitality and her unique view on how executives and entrepreneurs can keep themselves healthy and well-balanced in a sustainable way. She also discusses her thoughts on failure, her decision to take the leap to leave the corporate world, and how she decides on who she will work with. If you're looking to get motivated and improve your well-being, I am sure you'll take away a lot from this interview. Hello, and today I am joined by Nikki Fogden-Moore, the Mojo Maker. Welcome. Well, Jamie, what an experience to get here this morning. And boy, have you got your bossy pants on. I do. Welcome to Sydney. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> um, look, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you, but our listeners don't. So uh, who are you and, and tell us about what you're doing and where you've come from. Um, well, you can probably tell from the accent that I was born in New Zealand. Mm. Um, I've, I basically specialize in working with high-performing people and companies. That's my jam. And um, they've kindly given me my nickname, the Mojo Maker, and I'm there to help them find that seamless art of a work-life blend. So personal and commercial success. I travel the world on my little soapbox. And you published a book. Published a couple of books. So I have Vitality. Fresh Air, Fresh Food and Fresh Perspective and the recent one was Fitpreneur, How to Be the CEO of Your Business and Your Life. And tell us a little bit about that catch cry. So um, you are very much a proponent of a balanced, well-rounded view on performance? Yeah, I mean, it's healthy, wealthy wise, and we get taught a lot about performance and achievement, and there's a certain hard drive wiring that most of us have, and the leaders that I work with, we there's that little point at the top of the triangle where, you know, you look up and you, you've kind of lost your mojo a little bit, and it's about finding that glide, that effortless kind of integrated work-life blend, not compartmentalizing and not negotiating, but sustainable success isn't huge peaks and troughs, as you know. We all learn and grow and I think the real art of success is not just one area of your life. It's really enjoying all areas with technicolor and finding the uh, the roadblocks as curious challenges rather than defeats mm. and, and also just enjoying that journey and not using ambition and drive as dirty words, but we should celebrate that energy that comes from being leadership and entrepreneurialism and all those things, not at the expense of collateral damage of family, health and well-being and, and what lights you up. And I think you, you mentioned something that really resonates with me, which is sustainability. And, you know, I, I see a lot of executives who can do short sprints and, you know, we can all sacrifice our health, you know, whether it be physical or mental in the short term. But to do that over a 10, 20 year horizon is more difficult. Um, how do you encourage, you know, your clients and, and the people you work with to, to build a sustainable work life integration? Yeah, work life integration. I think, first of all, we have to give ourselves permission to redefine what success looks like. And um, by all means, there are certain things that, you know, I always say you don't have to sell your Ferrari and become a Buddhist monk. Mm -hmm. It's not about throwing the baby out with the bathwater and 
extreme kind of I will have this but not that and real success is finding that blend of enjoying your personal life your family life but feeling really connected physically and emotionally which makes you mentally more agile visionary creative and greater problem solver in the first place so there's actually a a cognitive connection to being healthy, wealthy, wise. And the funny thing that a lot of leaders have um, once they they get to the top and they look up and they're like, well, is this it? I call it life after awesome, is that a lot of the times their personal finances are, are not in great condition. Their family lives have been collateral damage. They're not connected to their relationships anymore. And the last thing is they've lost the relationship with themselves. So great leadership is, is really being in the driver's seat and being aware and accountable and being able to go, I'm a little bit off kilter and we're going through a roll up your sleeves, all hands on deck moment, but to thrive in those conditions. Mm. You know, that's what I love that thrive versus strive mentality because life's going to throw you um, bad deals and curveballs and market crises and sick children and and your health's going to get a wake up call. But it's what you do with that that really separates um, success from sustainability. I think that's really insightful. For me, I see a lot of executives and entrepreneurs who give so much of themselves to their businesses that there's nothing left. And yep. um, you know, often you know, the analogy that you know you, the, the oxygen mask on the plane, where you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. For me, leadership is um, taking care of yourself is a really essential part of leadership. But a lot of leaders don't necessarily think about that. Well, I mean, we, what you and I are talking about, and I stand on stage and I say, what I'm about to tell everyone is not rocket science. We all know this. My question is, why aren't we doing it? You know, we know. What do you think? Because first thing is we have a conditioning. We have to renovate the limiting beliefs that we've all been brought up with. I don't know about the generations listening to this, but every one of us has some kind of framework that we make our decisions from. So when do you stop to design what remarkable looks like for yourself in all areas? And I, I do that regularly now. So we must design the lives we love or those will get what we're given. And what happens is we're not taught to give ourselves permission to say that whilst we're building businesses and building teams and leading organizations, we have to lead in all areas of our lives. Mm-hmm. And that leadership isn't just vision on paper. It's how do you turn up at home and not compartmentalizing things. And so we know we need to take better care of ourselves, but there's a default hard drive setting that Mm. keeps putting it last on the list. And it's almost uncool beforehand to people say, even in law and finance, you know, it's great to have integrated work life. Everyone's got a gym membership, but nobody was using them. Mm. (laughs) You know, FIFO, first in, first out, LIFO, last in, first out, all these sorts of things that come in. It's not just accounting, it's people. Mm. So leaders that I really look up to and the ones that I work with are not only visionary and commercially astute, they're kind of, you know, unapologetically great people. Mm. And they realize that they want to, they love their families, they love their teams, they're like, they are so determined to use their days. And that sense of vitality and purpose emanates through everything. Mm. But not everybody has that mojo. And so what happens when people hit the wall or they hit the stock market crash and everything falls away, they're forced to look at the stuff. Mm. And what you and I want to do is educate leaders at whatever level of life that it's never too late to to pin drop and look at your GPS and think, what would great look like and how can I evolve with a few clicks of the coordinates to to have a sustainably seamless 
fun life where I don't have to apologize because I love my job. Mm. And so, look, I think you're an amazing thought leader. I love working with you. I think we're so um, on the same plane in terms of looking at, um, you know, founder fitness and, and self-care. Tell us about you. How did you get to where you're at and uh, and sort of start with, uh, you know, sort of your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I mean, I've, I, th- I think I only really recently decided to commercialize what I do because I was so passionate and it came so naturally to me. I started running you know, body breaks for CEOs when I was working in advertising in Europe. I'd take my executive teams. I remember working, I'll I'll go right back. I'm born in New Zealand. I grew up on a farm. I drove the tractor with blocks on the brakes. I went to boarding school. and But when I was a lot younger at school, there was a big bus accident and I was in that bus accident. I think that was a life-defining moment because after that bus accident where a lot of people died and, and I was quite badly, we had to go back to boarding school and back on another bus. So wow. it's. I think you're either a person that life does stuff to or you do things with life. And from very early on, I've been fortunate to grow up with a mentality of empathy, compassion, drive, and just a zest. So that's been through everything. And while I was going through um, university and, and school and work and all that sort of jazz that you do, um, I always was interested in health and well-being. And this upbringing of fresh air, fresh food and a fresh perspective has been with me since a kid. So I've always taken that with me. Working then in New York and London and Amsterdam and international branding, people would say, how come you're so energetic at breakfast? Because we do all these massive campaigns, you know, Mm. British American tobacco. And everyone is shocked that I worked um, with Lucky Strike and Benson Hedges. But at the time, the strategy around those brands was just groundbreaking. How does that? How does that? So that's an interesting point, right? I mean, because a lot of people don't want to work with with the, like, oh. tobacco and pharma, especially somebody like yourself. That surprises me. How, yeah. did, how did you? I mean, we've all got to do work sometimes that we don't like. Um, how do you? How did you sort of align that with your values and sort of say, you know what? Like, I'm a health. I'm really into health, and I'm working for tobacco. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because I, I mean, I was just what we would call a young gun then. You know, my clients at that stage was Sony PlayStation was just launching, and so and I was working in in Australia and New Zealand and dark marketing then. So we had to do below the line advertising and be really creative and and all that while I was doing triathlons and. Kind of keeping up, I did my personal training and my nutrition. So I've always had this. When I went to London to work with Ogilvy for Brit, everyone would say, "Why? How can you?" But it was just so god darn interesting. Like they is one of the greatest marketing companies of all time, and they hired the best people. And they have and, to, you know, <laughs> exactly. So at that stage and that age in my life, I was just so fully into the strategy and. And it was just so interesting. Then, of course, moving to Interbrand. But during that whole sort of years of of working in advertising, I always kept up this philosophy of life was your gym. So Mm. I'd pack my running shoes and I'd be this ridiculous tigger at breakfast and everyone would come and hung over from these big launch parties. And I'd be like, hey, guys, how's it going? They're like, for gosh sake. You're that person. (laughs) But I was still out there doing those launch (laughs) events, you know. And, and that's when I started taking, you know, the executive teams and my CEOs and entrepreneurs that say, could we just have a bit of your energy? And mm. um, and I took them for retreats. So I've always had that blend um, mm. that has enabled me. You know, when you work in, in advertising and tech and fun, you work long hours yep. and, and you're not on the client side where it's cushy. You have to do whatever it takes and you're at the beck and call and, you know, mm. and, and so I think that ability to join 
you know, raced different triathlons in Amsterdam has also given me the ability to make friends with people worldwide because of my sports and my mm. well-being. And Les Mills then started all their programs. So I'd teach spinning in the Loisgracht no. in Amsterdam. I'd bike and then I'd go to the office. Yep. So I was a spinning instructor and then I'd go to the office and work work all day. And so I think it's just always been part of who I was. It's mm. in my DNA. And so there would have come a point in time where you, I mean, you know, we've kind of got similar careers where you, you've spent time in the corporate world and mm-hmm. now you're out on your own, um, you know, doing doing your thing. What went through your mind? Can you remember the point in time where you made the decision to? Do you to, really want to know the story about that point in my mind when it, I made the it, decision? Is it you know palatable? <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely still a PG rating. Okay, excellent. For sure. Let's do that. Um, you know, when we've all gone through a takeovers um, in business, and I mm. remember when Interbrand was bought out by Zinsmar and Lux, which was an Amsterdam office international crew, and. You know, it was a fairly aggressive takeover and lots of people were made redundant and I can remember standing there and I had someone break into my Amsterdam apartment the night before and lots of things was going were going on also in my personal life and, and my best friend who's Swedish, her name is Kiki and I'm Nikki and she was a creative director in our strategy. Can you imagine? That's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. Um, we just looked at each other and we're like, this is just, this is, I just wasn't well. You know, I was exhausted and I was trying to keep the team motivated and I knew that that was a point where things were going to change. So I went to Schiphol Airport and I booked a ticket to uh, to Egypt. No way. And um, I went to a place called Dahab and I, I drove a ski boat for an Egyptian guy for what? a couple of months. Why did you want to go to Egypt? Well, I don't it was know. Because there was a ski boat there. Oh, yeah. And then I Did you know of, anything about driving boats? Or well, was sort of. But I just – and then I I became a snorkel guide for a few weeks. And But while I was doing that, I kept writing these, um, you know, nutrition and – and programs for tourists that would just come up and I would just start writing these programs for people. And, and then there were also a lot of extreme sports athletes. There were quite, you know, there was windsurfers at that stage and I'd write brand programs for them. So I'd talk to them about the power of individual branding and that they were a business. So when I got back from that, I started Life's Gym, um, which was the sort of personal training and retreat company. I was probably one of the first people to do retreats 15 years ago. It wasn't, it wasn't cool then it was new. And I started an athlete management agency called Project Pro Extreme to help individuals build themselves as brands. And it just, I was like, it just happened. And and then at the same time, I contracted back out when I got back to um, to advertising agencies uh, as a strategic director. But on the office door, it said the doctor is in whenever I was in the office because people would just come in and unload and, and unload and. Um, and then I took another sabbatical and I drove a ski boat in Greece for a guy called Panos that put baby oil in his hair. Um, and, and, you <laughs> You've had know, some interesting characters yeah, in your life. And, and just, just had this break because I'm really a lover of the ocean and, and you know, and, and things. But while I was doing that, I was constantly working. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever really stopped, um, you know, doing consulting or writing programs or creating product. Just like you, I just didn't know that that was my jam. Mm. Um, but I've been doing it the entire time of my working career. And and then I started this athlete management agency that was pretty much more of a charity of me believing in people than anything else. But um, Not a big money spinner? Well, I just – I don't think – I think, you know, when we talk about unicorn tears in your book and startups and when you're a purpose-driven person, you – and you work in an agency life, sometimes when you're passionate about something, you forget about profit because mm. you just, it's come so easily to you. And I remember in New York, someone said to me, he said, you know what, Nikki, you know, you just have to like commercialize yourself more because, oh my God, he said like, you're like HR on steroids. <laughs> 
and he was like, you got to, you know, the better you do commercially, the more you can help other people. Mm. And that's when the penny dropped. Mm. And I was like, I need to like run this baby like a business that I that that creates jobs and that creates structure and and that's when it all sort of kicked into another level and I moved from Europe back to Australia because my mm. parents were living in Australia. And I thought if I want to live anywhere in the world and it's not Europe and it's not Italy or I want to live in Noosa. Okay. And I want to take my clients on retreats in Noosa, you know, and I so I still fly to LA or Sydney or Melbourne. I was like, where do I want to be that I can run in the morning and still work internationally and but dip in the ocean and you know, what if what 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 do I want my life to be like? And so you've really designed a lifestyle around your business. Well, I think my, you know, when we're founders um, and we build our own IP, we're very much our own product. And I think you really have to be congruent. Like most of my clients know that last week moving house nearly killed me. <laughs> I think it kills everybody. <laughs> and, um, you know, they know, they, I, I don't think I'm trying to put on airs and graces. I think I'm just trying to say, I this is what works for me. And we've got one shot at life. FedEx is not going to send you a new body tomorrow. Mm. You can get a bolt on, you can get a bit of Botox. You can get a, a clip and tuck or whatever they call it. But um, I'm hoping is, for all of these things, <laughs> all of them. But one of the things that I remember from from all of my clients in Europe is this resounding point of three things, people, purpose, profit. You mm. know, you've just got to care. You've got to know what your purpose is and don't be ashamed of making a profit. And if you don't know how, you get the people in to help you figure that out. Mm. And so if, if somebody was sitting out there today and they might have been a school leaver or they're sitting in the corporate world and they're thinking about making the leap um, into entrepreneurialism, um, how would you counsel them? What would be your initial advice if somebody was sitting down for a, a, you know, a green shake with you and saying, you know, Nikki, what do I need to do? Green shake or a glass of French, who knows? Mm. Um, I would say two things, and you and I always talk candidly. Like mm. AK, you're constantly giving me a hard time. But mm. one of the, one of the things I say to a lot of people now, you know, Australia is set up quite differently from America and entrepreneurialism in terms of small business and, and understanding how that all works. And we definitely haven't got the rungs on the ladder and fail fast. I mm. think it's there's a lot of stigma around failure. But to some degree, I say to people, try and be an entrepreneur before you can become an entrepreneur because mm. there's a lot of um, give back. Like companies are the new community and being an entrepreneur is somewhat egocentric. You know, mm. it's like me, 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 and here's my idea and here's how we're doing it. And I think if you, if you really want to succeed, you really have to go, what can I give, not what can I get? Mm. And when you start to come from the purpose-driven Point and you're not just going for a BD, a better deal, because life is 10 times more difficult on your own running a business. And I think I love the idea of being entrepreneurial inside an organization first and really trying to earn your stripes. Mm. And I love the fact that we're supporting startups and creativity and we, we want people to be innovative, but we need to understand that that is not without its hard work. Mm. And it's not just the cream on the top. It's the, the administration, it's planning, it's finding your dream team, it's don't grow too fast because staffing is the biggest problem we all have. And and why do you want to get in this? Like not that it's cool or everybody can be an Instagrammer or a programmer, but why? What's your mm. why? And really be honest with yourself. And I would encourage people to learn more about the art of running a business and 
and being great at who they are and what they are before they just jump around and start something because you really it takes a special type of character it, to it, stick it out. It, it really does, and I think there is also um, alternative views of entrepreneurship now developing. 100%. So, so I listened to um, Jason Freed recently, who was on the Tim Ferriss podcast. He's the founder of Basecamp Thirty Seven yep. Signals. Um, very alternative guy in terms of his views around you know staying small, never getting large, having no goals, um, and really just focusing on doing something that he loves building a product and if people buy it fantastic you know and I think you know he's been doing that for 18 years and and is a really interesting alternative view of entrepreneurship which is you know what do something you're completely passionate about and put it out there and and if people buy it and you can make a living out of it fantastic um versus the i'm going to be the master of the universe and completely dominate you know the world stroke a white cat at the same time and stroke a white cat at the same time and lose all of your hair um but i also like the idea of of entrepreneurship i think the you know innovative innovating inside an organization in a safe space where you know you can develop those skills i think one of the things i speak about with entrepreneurs all the time is that it's a craft that you Very much so. build and develop over time. You know, your first um, creative work isn't necessarily going to be a masterpiece. You know, everybody's got a lot Apparently there's a rule to that. Geniuses have one or maybe two good ideas in their lifetime. That's it. You Damn. know? I well, know. I don't know. But I don't we know. might <laughs> want to redefine that. But, uh, but this is the – I mean, I'm, uh, maybe we can get a bit controversial here because I really care. I want people to succeed. But I think that we can't have SOS, which is shiny object syndrome. Mm. Like, you know, it's one thing is putting something out, founding fast, keep going, um, the 90-day product launch. But the other thing is – honing the blended skills required to have sustainable success and coming in with your eyes wide open and not being afraid to be how, you know, lick a few envelopes and, um, you know, get the nitty gritty of your finances. Like most entrepreneurs, they don't want to know their numbers. And I would say do it backwards, like get curious so you can brief people properly. If you want to sustain a business, then build your inner respect and and build your internal hard drive and read and be curious. Mm. Don't be arrogant, but replace you know overconfidence with the humility mm. that comes with a great idea. Which is wow, there's always so much to learn. Like every day, I feel that rather than resolving to do something, we should continually evolve and just stop with the ego-driven decisions and think wow, this is like, this is another thing I'm learning and what is this person can teach me? And I think if you come in as an entrepreneur with a sense of collectiveness and curiosity rather than fear and requiring something, mm. your road to success will be much more enjoyable. Mm. And to have your eyes wide open and to think, who do I who do I really want to be like? Not just on paper, but you know whose values resonate with me. Mm, um, I think I'd look. I, I I couldn't agree more. Um, who do you want to be like? Um, I have a few imaginary board of directors that, okay. that I like to. You know, if I have big decisions, I'd say, "What would Richard say?" or whatever. And I think that sometimes. We're so busy with Generation Exhibition looking outside for for validation and information that we forget to trust our own selves. So I'm wondering what the best of me looks like sometimes. Mm. Do you have Do you have uh, one of the questions I might ask you later, but I'll ask you now, which is, you know, who would you invite to dinner, Ooh. living or dead, preferably actually at the dinner alive, but uh, you know what I mean. Um, I guess I've got some cliche people that I really, um, you know, really would love to spend time with just – because they're they're so unapologetically themselves, and I I know you're going to cringe and laugh. Um, yes, you will have a seat at the table, JP. Thank don't you. worry. And one of my great great 
people that I admire is Al Ramadan, who wrote Play Bigger and, and is the co-founder of Adobe and lives in Santa Cruz now with his family. Great family guy. Uh, they run something called the Pow Pow Patrol, which is this legacy of guys. Super, super intelligent, but very humble. Elon Musk, just because, I mean, you know. Although I think Elon's gone a bit, gone a bit crazy recently. Yeah, I know. but I, He needs I, to get off the Twitter. Somebody yeah. needs to tell him, Elon. So not, this is the thing. I think what happens is when people are passionate and, you know, to be a true entrepreneur, you have to be slightly mad. I'm convinced. Well, no doubt. Like, you know, you and I are not your average eggs. Mm. We're, you know, the lunatic factor has to be in there. But no, I don't think any entrepreneur is, is sane in, to a certain degree. I mean, <laughs> no, you, know, well, you, you need you, a bit of insanity. You have to have a bit of crazy in you. Um, Elon, you can't really really fault the success to be honest um however yeah has has been acting out a little strangely recently well, wouldn't the, you i mean you oh, know. i'll be 10 times worse let's, yeah, be, let's be clear um, but i think also you know i um there's a really interesting former ceo of air new zealand rob fife he'll probably kill me for saying this but he's just like he's got the best stories ever and he's living and very much alive mm. and is now on the board for new zealand with antarctica and does great things and so I don't always think it's about these world, world-class people. I mm. think sometimes we live amongst geniuses and we just don't realise it. Mm. Um, so, of course, people like Richard Branson and, and um, definitely not Donald Trump. Sorry, oh, he's no. not, hasn't got an no. invitation. No, he's uh, definitely um, not on the list. Uh, it would probably be a group mixed of art, philanthropy, business and and, mm. and people that just are a bit renegade. And, and what I love about Elon Musk, I will say one thing, is the whole story about he opened up his IP because he knew that if everybody was out there trying to create a better battery, mm. that, that it would be better for – and I think that's a really interesting point with a abundant sharing approach rather than a – Secret of scarcity mentality. Look, he also did the same with um, artificial intelligence, and so OpenAI.org, I think, is is a project that he sponsored, and and his views around artificial intelligence, which he thinks is dangerous. Um, well, I kind uh, of agree with him to yeah, some I, degree. I understand not, the usage not, of it, but yeah, I'm not I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm, I've, I think I it, dep- it depends. Yeah, it depends on the it depends on the the sort of. The, the actual application. Yeah, application for me um, the his, he does have an interesting interesting view which he says it becomes dangerous if only a small you know portion of people in the I'm world exactly. have an AI um, and so his solution to that is to open source it so we all have our own AIs in the future and that you know you have your your essentially your virtual artificial intelligence that represents you in the world it's a really interesting it's a really interesting perspective I mean I think I could talk about AI and and uh, you know my views on human longevity for for hours um, but just shifting gears for a second and um, what's your relationship with failure? So you mentioned earlier that um, an adversity, I guess, would sort of go hand in hand. You know, early on you, you were involved in, in a bus accident and, you know, that obviously has had a huge imprint on you in terms of sort of, you know, I guess the rest of your life. But have you ever had a significant failure and, and how do you, I guess, develop a relationship with, with adversity yourself? Yeah, and I, I think what, I just want to make an interesting point about that bus accident. I didn't really remember it until there was a 30-year anniversary. Wow. And I've never dined out on it. You know, I speak mm. for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just don't believe I really thought about it ever again. Yeah. Because um, there was no room to be, oh, poor me. Yep. I mean, I just – and I think that mentality, if you talk about failure, 
Um, I've had many, um, you know, moments of that would be shameful or I'd be embarrassed about. And I just, I think I've always had instilled in a young age, you just get back on the horse. I've, I've never really had anyone else to come scoop me up. Mm. Um, so I've always had this do things with life mentality. I've said yes when I should, I've said jobs I should never have had because I've just said, okay, I'll do it. And, mm. you know, and way above my head. And and I'm, I'm, I always, I wrote this big project at the moment that I'll share with your with you is that um, on the wall in my new office, um, I wrote all the things I felt I hadn't followed up on mm. in the last few years. Like all the things that I felt I hadn't followed up on, all the things that people hadn't followed up on. To me, they felt like failures that I hadn't followed through. So I've, I'm now doing what's called the follow through project. Really? I've got yeah. a different. I've got a different view to that. So, so well, I, used to, I used to. I used to stress out. Well, no, but let me finish with that for a little bit, um, because that's the thing. Like, I think at a certain point we have to like failure adversity. Um, you have to just give it some perspective. And I love the whole act of think like a CEO, plan like a visionary, act like a Buddha. Instead of letting things sit around in your head, if this is really in your crap list, go and do something about it, write it out, and mm. then go, is this really a big deal? Because mm. once you do that, like you say, it has perspective. You're like, Pfft. So I think we give ourselves, we beat ourselves up over things that are just earning our stripes. Yeah, somebody said something. One of the, the things that changed my view, which is similar, which is I used to be really stressed out when I didn't finish a book. And I never finished many books, to be honest. Like, I start them. I don't even know if you started my one, by the way. I, I did this morning. Um, <laughs> before we interviewed. I'm joking. Um, but uh, I used to get stressed. I used to sort of start a book at halfway through and then put it down. And, um, you know, somebody who we've got in common, I think Matt Church or somebody said to me, um, you know, that's just perfectly okay. Start another one. Like, yeah. the reality is so when, it, when it finishes, when it finishes, when it finishes serving you, then it, it's okay, and you've just got to be, you know, kind of in, I guess, at, at peace with not not really finishing the books. Now, if, if if you want to finish it, finish it, right? Like, obviously, it compels you to finish it. But I used to think about like that about a lot of things, like project. Yeah, and I, I had agree. this sort of baseline level of anxiety going. Do you know what? There's a whole lot of stuff I've started and haven't necessarily finished. But I think that's just a natural order of things. I don't know. This is a really interesting point that brings us back to failure, failure, and entrepreneurialism and expectations. I think we are built with what I call limiting beliefs which are you have to do this if you start out to something you have to finish it if you say mm. that you have there's all these kind of conditions mm. so when those things hit me like a two by four in my forehead i'm like is that condition um that belief serving me anymore yeah, which is, it, is is it true is it true because even if that's how you made your decisions in the past we grow through life by going well whatever that got me to that point it doesn't serve me anymore and it's okay to let go otherwise you constantly making new decisions and old frameworks. It's like using an outdated operating system. It, it is also um, a, another interesting insight I got from this Jason Freed interview was the fact that um, he doesn't have any goals or KPIs. And that's a really, um, you know, kind of counter view to pretty much every major business view on the on the planet at the moment. Um, but he gave a really interesting analogy, which is he said he used to like running. And so he, you know, ran every day and went out and sort of enjoyed the sunshine and ran. And then he started to set himself some goals and he wanted to run a particular distance in a particular time. I don't know. I'm not a runner, so let's call it a mile in six minutes or whatever it ends up being. And so he started to pursue that specific goal. And in the course of pursuing that goal, he obviously didn't hit the targets and therefore he got less and less um, happy running and stopped running. Yeah. And and he was sort of saying that the advent of putting targets on that particular activity actually caused him to not like 
the activity anymore. And yeah. I, it's, it's sort of – I'm not sure what I think about that just yet, but it's a really interesting perspective. Well, I can give you a grand insight that I wish most people would be given when we go through life is that you have to figure out your own vital ingredients. So mm. what's right for him might not be right for oh, someone course, else. And I think that that self-discovery of mm. how do you work best – and learning what works for you and what doesn't and, and then being able to create frameworks around that is that is where you have sustainable success. You know, I know how I work. I did, I did, I know I don't work well in large group kind of cor- corporate workshop situations with 10 tables in the room and I'm, I'm way too creative and I've, I'm like an wide house where they're all hanging down from the ceiling and occasionally they'll go and they'll and I'll get <laughs> that's you know so I think knowing this is a great example of someone who's like my DNA is goal setting ruins it for me right so I think we should encourage people whilst you should be inspired by what you read and what everyone else is doing please walk your line and figure out what works for you I couldn't agree more. I also think, though, it is interesting to see contrarian views, right? So, you know, occasionally when you see, you know, obviously there's there's a, you know, a common understanding around certain things. And, and when you do see somebody who's way out there on the edge and, and they're sort of, you know, espousing a very different philosophy, it's worthwhile investigating. I, I think 100%. It, I think it's interesting. So I guess that kind of it's an interesting segue into – so how do you walk your own line? How do you manage your day? Like, you know, what's, what is your operating system? Yeah. And, you know, it's really funny on, on Instagram sometimes people will try and call me out. They'll be like, oh, action's not words. And I'm like, yep, you know, come along and hang out with me for a week and let's see how you roll. And I think that I just – it, can you imagine hanging out with me all don't, day, don't, every day? Why are you feeding the trolls on Instagram? It's just don't hilarious. feed the trolls. No, but I love it. I, I'm just. I think I'm naturally a tigger, and you can't stick a tigger tail on an eeyore. And and what's important is <laughs> <laughs> this analogy's out there. Well, what does that make me, Pooh Bear? Well, yeah. Well, I didn't want to throw names anywhere, but I wasn't going to say piglet. Let's just say that. Excellent. I would just say that we have to embrace our own personality and my personality is I just froth on life and if I happen to have seven projects going on like working with a client this morning for an early boardroom session coming here to do a show with you today and then flying back this evening to film with Range Rover tomorrow I'm like you heck why not and the um, the way that I recalibrate is moments of nano breaks me time I write about this in, in Fitpreneur the book I know my values so my biggest value is kindness mm-hmm. Um, that's how I operate. It's my kryptonite. So if I work with corporates or leaders and that's not existing, I'm useless. Right. Um, and it doesn't matter how much money you want to throw at me. It's a very, very important value. How do you determine that? I think you just know when I've put together a matrix for who I work with and how I work now, a, a kind of a chemistry check, um, you know, commercially astute um, values and integrity, um, compassion, but also um, drive. And is that something you test for initially or is it something that you sort of form a view on over time? No, I think you know straight away with someone if it's it's the two-minute chemistry check. And mm-hmm. I think we've, we've stopped trusting our gut. Mm. Um, but if you're going to work with someone, you better be happy when you pick up the phone to them and you better look forward to seeing them. Mm. Otherwise, why – you know, there is enough business in the world for us all to get – to work with each people, other. People who we want to work so, with. So, and this comes back to that great analogy about having a boss that doesn't like goal setting, but hiring people that need it. Mm. You've got to understand just because your operating system is one way, if you're growing an organization, 
people are going to value different things. Mm. So whilst you can't incentivize them always with cash, if you understand how your team and how your family and what's important to them work, mm. it's game-changing, game-changing. Yeah. And it can't just be surface-level stuff. It's really knowing what's important to you and then that's your framework for all decisions. And then I think you tap into people's passion, their discretionary time. You get a lot more out of, of people if you are tapping into what makes them tick, their core values, what gets them pumped up and Yeah, out and of you bed. can figure it out in an hour. Like I do mm. express lunch and learn sessions and go into teams and, and you don't need convoluted programs. You need to care. Mm. Um, and then we, I love that idea about staying small because mm. that's one of the things that, you know, we're having lunch and I'm like, JP, I really need, I need to sit with you because my brain's like, because there's so many people will tell you, you should go and do this. You should scale there. But what is your idea of success? Mm. Like take a moment to define um, what that really looks like for you because there is a, there is a opportunity cost of large, mm. uh, large, you know, and I think we have to just – give ourselves permission to go, hold on a second, what would be great for now? And nothing is finite. People make decisions and they're so afraid that that's for the rest of their lives. And and I think that's a, a point well made. I often am approached by young entrepreneurs or, or people who are thinking- like me, 26? Yeah, baby. And uh, I think, um, you know, people are leaving the corporate world and, and looking at making the leap. I think, and I, I also do think the economy is changing in terms of mm -hmm. what people want and expect out of a career, uh, for sure. But that's a topic for another time. I think the, um, the interesting thing that I do talk about with with new entrepreneurs is why like why do it like, exactly like, yeah if it's for the money or your motivations are not um around doing something that you're very passionate about scratching a niche and and it's aligned with your values then entrepreneurship is going to be a really painful process for you and i think it became a buzzword and i think mm. the one thing that you and i have is um an enormous energy like i if i wake up at two to write or i've got an idea i just it's just how it's, it's exciting and i think you need to be that passionate, but you also – sustainable success means knowing how you switch off. It mm. means hanging out with people that – you know, it's that that diagram that I write, friends, family, me time, health and well-being, having your personal finances under control. Don't just have the blinkers on and go, woo Like, you know, you don't come out of a monastery as a, a Buddhist monk and go to the pub and not have to do any work afterwards for the rest of your life. That's another great analogy. Don't people give them money? <laughs> this is from the Nictionary. All these analogies can be found in the Nictionary at the back of my book. Uh, okay. But this is the, you know, being being your best version of yourself, running a business, there isn't an off switch. It's mm. a daily practice of being agile and I can't go for a run today because I started at 5.30 in the morning and I finish mm. at 11, but, but I can have a great conversation enjoy um, a headstand later if I want to and just go for a, a walk and talk. Mm. There's other ways that you can calibrate. So are you a structure person? So do you generally plan out your week and day with a particular morning routine, evening routine, or are you just a, I go with the flow? I tell you what the, the difference with me is I have a hard drive of things that I deploy on any given day so because I've been doing this for so long. So I, whilst I'm a Taurus and I love to be organized um, and I really – you know, I, I really like to have clear space because my brain is so full. Mm. Um, I'm very agile. And so I don't panic if my system is thrown out because no day is ever the same for me. Mm. And I'm my own boss, so it's not like someone else is making me do this. 
Um, and then I've, I've started doing things like I tell my clients in advance when I'm just not going to be available because they mm. can contact me with SOS anytime mm. and they know that I'll get back to them as soon as possible. So I love structure, but I don't be, I'm not governed by it. So you're not one of those entrepreneurs who just gets up in the morning and executes the same routine and, and, uh, at the same evening. Routine. I mean, that surprises me. I've got to say like, um, because I see. I'm highly productive. No, I'm not saying you're not. I'm not saying you're not, but um, it it is. Um, I do see entrepreneurs fall into two two camps, which is very much you know they protect their time around um, you know health, fitness, etc. You just sort of integrate that into your day. I think that's a really interesting yeah. alternative strategy. But that's the that's the trick to sustainable success because mm. if you're truly an entrepreneur, um, one of the issues that I work with with most senior leaders and well established entrepreneurs is they just they're so exhausted from responsibility they can't be creative anymore mm. and the one thing i mean i mean i'm drawing children's books stuff at the moment because you can hear how my brain works i'm like oh look there's mr jelly bean you know <laughs> i'm doing something strategic because i have this huge sense of creativity that needs to come out and i think as leaders the moment you start being so full in your day that you can't be visionary and creative. You are not able to lead an organization and lead with ideas. You mm. need to carve out moments where you're just switching off to create space. You need to empty your hard drive. So mm. what we're doing is we're filling every single folder up so there's no space for there to be uh, an idea or uh, a, de a deletion. Mm. You know, we have complete and deplete columns mm. and we're just shoving – every bit of information to every folder, physically, emotionally, mentally, and we need to be agile. So whilst those leaders that have their game plan, life's not like that. It's not, a, you know, 1,440 minutes and every day are the same every day. If you're an entrepreneur, you better get used to having your world up, upside down or mm. someone will call you and say, could you pitch to the Pope tomorrow and you better be ready. Mm. And that's the whole point of being an entrepreneur is 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 the excitement that comes with, that was not on my agenda. <laughs> oh, no, it's interesting. Do you have any hacks for yes. being more productive and, and sort of making sure that, that your day does incorporate at least elements of all of those sort of restorative things that you spoke about? Five hacks. Five hacks. Um, don't skimp on your accommodation. Mm -hmm. Like if you travel a lot like I do, you better – that is your home. So creating a sanctuary and a place, have your favorite tea, uh, get in a robe, do whatever else you need to do. But your accommodation, uh, the Virgin Lounge, more time than my own. Mm -hmm. um, so, so stick with your airline, get to know the people, and that's the other hack. So travel – your travel uh, tips are really crucial. My other hack is the 1% rule. In fact, this is I've made like a set of mini books with all my hacks. And the 1% rule is if the, you spend 15 minutes a day or 14.4 minutes a day, over 100 days, you're 100% better off. Mm -hmm. So if you're missing me time or you're missing your health and well-being or you're missing creativity or whatever it is or your finance, spend 15 minutes a day on it. Mm -hmm. And you will very quickly regain your control in that area. That idea of small incremental steps ultimately add up to something that's hundred percent. You cannot argue with the stats. And what people do is they put these grand gestures in place. And the other thing is um, I do I use a driver in most cities and I mm -hmm. do use the time in the car for my phone calls. Mm -hmm. And then I put my phone on airplane mode and I have no digital devices when I go to bed. So mm -hmm. I create uh, downtime. Um, and then fun. My other f hack is if you stopped having fun, mm. you better stop and reassess because this is life isn't a dress rehearsal. 
Um, so pick up the phone, call a friend, watch something funny. Um, you're not going to be more productive by answering another five emails when you're exhausted. Mm. Are you a person who gets stressed? How do you? Oh yeah, like I mean, I think I threw an adult tantrum three days ago. <laughs> like because we moved house, and I and I know that I have a full week, mm. um, and I need to know where everything is, and um, and I couldn't find anything. Um, How do you deal with stress? How do you manage it? I let my feelings come straight to the surface straight away. I don't push stuff down. I am like I just feel it and harness it, have a laugh, let it go. I call it the glass door philosophy. So being truly authentic means feeling stuff and mm. going, shit, well, this is – and then just going, whoa, and then pressing pause and going, do I have the facts and stats? Is this really a big deal? What's my next step? So mm. think like a CEO, plan like a Buddha, act like a visionary. So don't try and hold yourself together all the time. Like that is just nonsense. You need to be able to go for a run, walk out somewhere, go to a room, scream if you need to, feel stress in the minute, but don't hang on to it mm. um, because it is inhuman to have one feeling throughout the day. Mm. You know, we're a kaleidoscope of emotions, and um, but don't take your stress out on other people mm. and listen to your body. Mm. What we do is we push stress down and we don't listen to our bodies and we, we work harder and we push through it and that's when it's dangerous and that's when your body is the last thing that will tell you because it's just such an advanced machine that it will take an enormous amount of stress and tenacity for it to break down. And it's such a shame that I see people's bodies and minds break down when it doesn't need to happen that mm. way. So the hackers listen mm. um, and then have a sense of humor. Like it's the best thing ever. Mm. Laughter is really the best, best medicine. And, and I think even laughing at yourself, um, you know, if you happen to be stressed and you walk past the wall and you see what face you've got on, mm. seriously, everyone else has to look at that. So maybe <laughs> <laughs> you're not referring to me. No. Um, and so do you meditate or, or do you get that sort of that headspace from exercise? You know, I, I do meditate, but I nano meditate and um, I just, I don't, can't sit for you an don't, hour. You're not a big structural meditation person. No, I just don't think I need it. I think I'm. I've become a bit of a Ferrari emotionally now, and and I kind of can come in for a quick pit stop and and burst off again. Um, and uh, for me personally, meditation is such a practice that I can do it in a nanosecond. So coming off stage the other day, people were following me to the toilet. And I was like, just give me three minutes. I'm going to go in the bathroom and I'll be right out and I can answer your questions, maybe write something down for me. Mm. But I knew I needed those three minutes to myself. Just to kind of give yourself some headspace. Yeah. So, and I don't sit and pick up my phone. Mm. I just breathe or I'll use it in the line for boarding an airplane. Mm. Or I will, you know, I use it on the way and in things. So you find moments in your life where you can be meditative rather than sort of sitting down and going through a specific structure. Well, at the moment, because like you, I'm in, there's a lot going on in my world mm. and, and, and I'm kind of in the middle of enjoying it. So mm. I need those mini meditation moments, those nano moments, those mm. minutes, and they all add up. Mm. So I'm not peaks and troughs. I'm integration at the moment. But then... Um, yeah, I know. I can't see myself getting a long break where I'm in a hammock in Bali for the next yep. few weeks. So, nice. so, well, so it is about making sure that I look after myself daily okay. um, with a ritual that's that's seamless. Fantastic. Uh, we'll finish off with some quick fire questions Ooh. if you don't mind. Um, favorite book? Um, oh, 
Unicorn Tears by Jamie Pride. No, no, no. Real favourite book. <laughs> oh, I just, you know, that's a t- tough one. Um, maybe Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> um, favourite app or most used app? My most used app would be Instagram at the moment. Okay, with, with the trolls who are calling you out. Well, you, you, you know, if people start to call you out, you know you're doing something right. <laughs> this is true. Um, favourite podcast or TED Talk? Well, I think everyone talks about Brene Brown um, mm. and vulnerability. And You're uh, the second guest on the podcast who's mentioned that. And I just, I mean, I just think that it's a great, if someone's beginning their journey to being fearless and honest, like I live in that space all the time, which is why I'm such a confronting human. Mm. But I think if you, it's a great place to start. It's a TED Talk on vulnerability. Yep. Matthew Bardsley mentioned the same same TED Talk. And, and, and mostly for, for most of you, I know we're doing the quick chats, but for most men out there, I think we've just got ourselves give ourselves permission to be real like it doesn't mm. matter just whatever you will get through it but at least know what's happening so vulnerability is crucial mm. do you think men are less vulnerable than women no and why, not at all why did you say men because i work predominantly helping this area and i think that women talk a lot and men need to talk side by side and and there's a lot of sense of responsibility and less dialogue around it mm. and and it's a great tool that when you can unlock that and be fearless that's pretty powerful. I love it. I love it. Um, an Australian business or thought leader that you would call out for some special attention? Oh, there's so many. Um, but, I'm, I mean, I think Melissa Brown from More Money From Shoes is is paving the way in finance and she's just, you Great know, book. kicking goals, um, unfuck your finances or whatever you're supposed to say. Un- no, this is a, an explicit podcast. Uh, you can oh, say it is? Yep. Gosh. Um, and then, um, oh, I, think, I don't know, but I, I just, I think just to Mel because she's just kept her humility and she's professional and... And I love introducing people to her and there's so many more and I'm sure I'll come back with some footnotes if that's okay. It's okay, no worries. And um, where can our listeners find out more about you on the interwebs? Where would you like to direct them to? Oh, what an exciting question. Um, well, come hang out with me on Instagram and Fogden Moore, F-O-G-D-E-N, uh, and then the vitalitycoach.com.au, my show, The Mojo Maker Podcast, which you're going to be on, sir, uh, and also Vitality Coach TV on YouTube. So... Um, everything on there. I'm happy to help listeners and give away whatever I can. It's all on there. The Muppet Show, I like to call it. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think the biggest thing is for people to be present um, and and to go into this. Just have a go, but just be yourself. Like anyone can be an app or a developer or a doctor or a nurse or a coach or an author, but nobody can be you. And mm. and have fun with this. Like just be curious and surround yourself with great people and. Get a sense of vitality, like being an entrepreneur and starting running a business and growing it is just one of the most wonderful experiences you can have. Uh, Embrace change. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Jamie, so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed Nikki's interview. I can highly recommend both her books and be also sure to check out her podcast, The Mojo Maker. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please feel free to rate and review us on iTunes. Today's episode was brought to you by The Founder Lab, who deliver courses and programs to help build better founders. You can find out more at www.thefounderlab.com.au. And if you'd like to find out more about me or the podcast, then check out www.jamiepride.com. Thanks for listening and subscribe to make sure you get all the latest episodes. Have a great week and don't forget to take care of yourself.